Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Um, We are in our series. In fact, um, I had stated before that I was going to go two more Sundays on this, but I I really made the decision this would be the last Sunday in this series. I'm going to start a new series uh, next, the week after, uh, next week, and that is going to be called Talent. And we're going to look at the uh, story of the Talents, 521 Talent. We're going to break it down over four weeks, and it uh, should be a real fun series. So, But I hope you enjoyed this one. This, this is the last one. So this one's called, because um, it's cultural quicksand, it's called When Humans Play God. I promised you about four weeks ago, and some of you have been asking me, when are you going to share what happened? What was the freak accident that you were involved in? Well, I'm going to share it today <clears throat> as an introduction. So here's what happened. Um, I decided uh, that um, I was going to save a few dollars. And I was going to trim uh, my 35-foot-tall queen palms in my backyard. They've gotten huge. So, um, <clears throat> and I've, I've cut those big clusters off before. And if you know anything about those clusters, they are heavy. Um, so I, I got up there and I, I cut off one, then two. Then I decided that I was going to go after one of the pods, the pods of the clusters before the cluster opens. Now, in case you don't know what I'm talking about and never seen one, these pods, they, they stand straight up before they open and they go sideways. And they're about four to four and a half feet long. They're shaped like a torpedo. They weigh about 40 pounds, if not a little bit more. So there I was. um, I got up on our ladder. I'm 15 feet in the air. Olivia's holding the ladder below me. I have a telescopic electric chainsaw that I borrowed from Jim Tracy. And I'm up there fully at the top, 15 feet standing, my body's fully extended, and then I've got this telescopic chainsaw fully extended, and I'm sawing off this, um, this pod, and, and I'm going for it, and sawing, 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 and finally it cuts through. Now you can guess what happened after that. That pod came down right on me. It came down on my right bicep. If you can zoom in a little bit, this is the aftermath now. This is over a month later. You could see the scarring on my right bicep. Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but that's as much as I'm going to show you. I have pictures to prove what I'm going to say next. And when it hit me, it twisted the ladder. And I'm 15 feet in the air, and I'm holding on to that electric telescopic chainsaw with my left hand, the ladder with my right arm, and my right bicep is killing me. I don't know what's happening yet because I have a shirt sleeve on there. Olivia's holding the ladder. Now, thank God it didn't hit me in the head. I don't know what it would have happened. Thank God it didn't miss me and hit Olivia, who was holding the ladder. But I come down, I'm climbing down off the ladder, and I drop the chainsaw on the grass. And I get down, I'm in pain, and I lift up my shirt sleeve. And I'm not in any way exaggerating when I say that you could see my muscle inside my arm and everything inside there. It completely cut a gash open in my arm about that big. It was, it was huge. The miracle of it was it did not bleed. That, and even the people that sewed it back up, they, they couldn't believe that. But the first thing I told Olivia was, I, when I lifted up the sleeve, I said, we've got to go to the hospital right now. I have never said that ever in my life to my wife or to anyone else about me. So she rushes up to get my Kaiser card upstairs, and I go in the front of the garage, open it up, and I'm waiting there. She's coming out, and when she walks out, she looks at me, and she could tell something was off about me. Yeah, I'm in shock. And she says, should we call 911? And I remember I was feeling really, like, lightheaded or really, like, tired, real tired. And my first thought was, 
if I call 911, everybody in the neighborhood is going to come out and see, what did Jim do? What's going on over there? And how many guys, just say amen on digital platform here, how many guys would say, yeah, I don't want that either? But then I realized, this is bad. Yeah, I said, call 911. So they called, she called, and I'm sitting in my truck bed in the garage, and I laid down because I'm just like, I feel so weak. And I could hear the ambulance coming, and the fire department's just two doors away from my house, and they're coming, you know, it's a long drive. And the ambulance pulls up, the fire trucks pull up, now all the neighbors are coming out, and they come up to me, and I'm waving at them, here they come, and they start checking me out, and they lift it up, and they look at it, and then the, the, uh, the paramedic says to me, um, uh, we have to cut your sleeve. Now that was the first, second painful thing. The first painful thing was the injury. The second painful thing was, this was one of my favorite old soft t-shirts. It's my Rocky Balboa Clubber Lang Rocky Three t-shirt, gray with the blue silhouette on it. I love the t-shirt. Then she, I said, oh no, I love this t-shirt. And she says, well, you could take it off. And then I thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to see you without a shirt on in, front, in my front yard with all the neighbors come out. I go, cut it off. So they cut my T-shirt off, and that T-shirt's no more. So I get in the ambulance, ambulance ride to the hospital, and I'm in the hospital Saturday night for five hours. And I just turned on my comedy routine for all the nurses and everybody because I figure if I'm here, they're going to have to heal my corny jokes. And so they did. And then I got to pray for the girl I talked about about three, four weeks ago in the, in the next, uh, on the other side of the curtain. And uh, they finally washed it out and they sewed me up. And Olivia could not be there. I had to text her when I was done because of COVID. Then she came and she got me. And we went home and I'm, I was on antibiotics, ibuprofen, the whole shot. Now, let me back up in the story. This is why I waited to today. There's another part of the story that's funny. Well, let me tell you the other painful part. My copay was enough to pay for all my palm trees to be professionally trimmed. So I was going to save a few dollars, and it ended up costing me a lot of money. So we're, 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 Jim Delcamp was now retired from the palm tree trimming, uh, tree, uh, palm tree trimming um, employment. I'm done. But let me go back in time. That same moment, I had already cut two clusters down before I went for that pod. I'm climbing the ladder, and uh, Olivia starts screaming. I go, what, what, what? She goes, ah, she, she goes, and she says, there's a lizard on your back. My first thought was, how did a lizard get on my back without me knowing it? And the only thing I could think of was one of the clusters came down, brushed me, and maybe there was a lizard in the cluster, and maybe that's how he latched on. I don't know. But she's screaming because Olivia hates lizards, hates snakes. She doesn't even want to look at them on television. So I'm flicking my T-shirt to try to get the lizard off. She's, ah, it's still there, it's still there. And flick, it, won't, it won't come off. So finally, I really flick that T-shirt really hard, and the lizard falls off my back. I see it. It's a pretty good-sized lizard. I didn't feel him. And he scampers off. Guys. Here's why I waited to tell the story. There's a lizard on my back. Before I cut that pod, that torpedo that came down on me, there was a lizard on my back. Let me tell you something. Paul, the New Testament writer, says this in Ephesians 6.16. He says, In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The devil, Satan, our adversary, the accuser, the red dragon, the serpent of Genesis. He's got some flaming missiles, flaming torpedoes. And that serpent is aiming them at every one of us. When it says take up the shield of faith, your faith is what you believe. It's what's true in the word of God. And we're to knock down those flaming torpedoes and missiles of the enemy. What are those things consisting of? They are lies. His greatest weapon is lies. And he tries to get into our heads to destroy our thinking, to change our thinking. 
And he gets into people's minds to even eliminate the possibility that there even could be a God. He tries to get us through wrong thinking to make wrong decisions that would cause damage or even implode some of our lives. And some of us have recovered from that praise the Lord. But the key thing is he tries to eliminate God's truth. He went into the Garden of Eden and he eliminated God's truth when it came to Eve. He told Eve, basically says, you surely shall not die. And then he said, Eve, you can be a God. Eve, you can be a God and you decide what is right and what is wrong. Isn't that, doesn't that sound great, Eve? That's been the greatest temptation and the greatest source of destruction in personal lives in societies that humans think they can be a God, that they can play God. That's the root of any ugliness that we will see in a family, in a person, and in society. That you and I think we can play God. Rejecting Rejecting him, putting ourselves in his place. It's cultural quicksand. Now let me tell you. Almost every week I tell you, teach your children well. Teach your children well. Because we are living in cultural quicksand. We are living in a day now of secularism, which means anything of God, church, spiritual, it's not relevant anymore. It's irrelevant. We're living in the day of humanism, which means man can solve his own problems, which he cannot. We're living in the day of pluralism, pluralistic societies, where there are a number of different ways, worldviews, that God, according to the Bible, is not the worldview. There's a bunch of worldviews that you can choose. And then you take all, all together, and now there are no more absolutes. We live in an existential society that you can change meanings of words, there is no sources of reference. There is no absolute truth any longer. It's what you feel. It's what you think. And the source of it is basically what the serpent told Eve, and he's been lying to humans ever since. You can be a god. You decide what is right and what is wrong. There have been a serpent on our back, and he shot some torpedoes. And he's wounding people worse than my right bicep. He's wounding families, marriages, individuals. He's wounding cities. He is wounding countries. He is wounding. Because man thinks he can play God. Let me tell you, if, and I say this repeatedly in the last so many years, if what you and I think or feel doesn't line up with God's word, it's irrelevant. Because this is what's true. And make your pursuit and make sure your child's or children's pursuit is that of truth. Because we live in a world now that doesn't have absolute truth anymore. They've washed it out, thrown it away. Now, before I get into this whole idea of when humans play God, let me go the last time in the key verses. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. And it says this. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Then he gives the other side. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. For the last time, what is Jesus saying? He's saying there's two different ways I can go in building my life, building even my marriage, building my friendships, building my family, building a society, and that is I can go build everything on the rock of God's word so when the winds of different thought come, of secularism, humanism, and et cetera, et cetera, when false doctrines come, 
that I'm not going to shake. When persecution comes, I'm not going to shake. When tribulation and problems hit your life, we're not going to be, we're not going to walk away from God because we're founded on the rock. This is what we stand on, period. But he said the opposite is true, that if I hear these words and I don't act on them, I can sit in church year after year and not act on these things, then when all the things I mentioned before come, I'll be shaken all over and my life will crumble because I've been built on sand. No firm foundation of God's word. Now, we've reduced all that down to one statement, and this is the statement. The statement is, foundations form futures. Now, <clears throat> here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you three points. They all build on the other. There's a couple, three bullet points within point two. We're going to go to Romans chapter one. So if you have your Bible, turn there, or if you have your app, turn there. We're going to travel down Romans one because Paul is going to really, um, he's going to give us more uh, understanding of what happened and what the serpent was saying in Genesis 3 about you can be a God Eve, deciding right or wrong. He's going to show us the negative of that, how it's led people down wrong roads, the consequences. He's going to show us everything. It's a fantastic correlation of two different chapters speaking on the same issue. So here we go, Romans 1, point number one, when humans play God, the first thing is they suppress the truth of God's word. When humans play God, they suppress the truth of God's word. In chapter 1, verse 18, 19, and 20, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So that they are without excuse. Okay, what's going on here? <clears throat> Paul says this. He says people suppress the truth. They push the truth out. They suppress the truth. And in doing that, they have to deny what they know to be true inside, deep inside themselves, and that is this. Paul says every person knows down deep inside that God exists, that there is a God. That's what he wrote. But people suppress the truth of that. <clears throat> Did you catch what Paul said when it comes to the existence of God and how God reveals himself? Did you catch it? He said two things. The first thing he said was, that God, in verse 19, he made it evident within every person. Every person knows within themselves that there is a God. God put it in there. But then in verse uh, 20, Paul gives another aspect and he says, not only does every person know on the inside of themselves that there is a God out there, they also know by the creation by what's been made, that there is a God. So he's, God has put it within them, and God has put it without them, that there is a creator. Think about it. <clears throat> he's saying people know there's a God by looking around and seeing what's been made. I like that a lot. Look up at the stars, planets, sun, the moon, the mountains, the beaches. Look at your physical body, the complexity of it, the fine-tuning of the universe. And you see all these things that were made by God. It is self-evident. But people suppress the truth, and they say no. Now watch, watch what Paul didn't say. He didn't say that people reject the existence of God for lack of evidence. He didn't say that. He said 
they reject the existence of God by suppressing the evidence or suppressing the truth. In other words, they know. Everybody knows. Everybody knows there's a God and they know the evidence of it, but they suppress it. They don't want Him in their lives. They suppress the truth. Truth. Suppress truth. I want to share two, th- two thoughts on this point. Isn't it weird? Um, it's just interesting, I guess. Uh, it's kind of sad in some respects. 20 years ago, you know, today you can, anybody with a phone or a laptop can be a dispenser of their own truth online somewhere. They can just go out and share. doesn't matter if it's true or not. doesn't matter if there's any evidence or not. They just go share it as if it's true. And plenty of people believe it. But there was a time 20 plus years ago that you had to earn your platform to be able to share truth. You had to have studied for years, got your degree in that field, become this person, that person, to be able to share the truth. Not anymore. Anybody can. That's why I don't bother listening to bloggers. It's like, why? Let me tell you a story. The first year I was a Christian, I had heard about this speaker. He was the second foremost reader who could read hieroglyphics in the world. And he was going to give a talk in Anaheim at a place called, well, it was once called Melody Land. It's a place where I got, became a Christian. He was going to give a talk to expose a certain cult and what they did and how they interpreted these hieroglyphic writings to say this, and he's going to expose that that's not even what it says. So I go there because I'm interested. He spent, it was going to be a two-hour thing. He spent the first hour basically giving his credentials, where he studied, how he got to where he's at. He was proving to us that he should be listened to on this issue. He was proving to us that he was the second foremost in the world at reading hieroglyphics. I remember thinking, get on with it, guy. I don't need to hear all your credentials. I don't need to know everything you've done. Then the intermission came, second hour, then he took all these things that a cult member had taken decades and decades and decades, over 100 years before, and said it said this, 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 and this, and then he said, that's not what it says, here's what it says. And it was nothing to do with what that cult member interpreted. As I got older, I realized that the reason why he spent the first hour sharing who he was, why he was there, and why he should be listened to, is because he had to share all the credentials. He had to share why he's earned the position for the credibility for himself to be heard and that what he's saying is true. That's the way it used to be. Not anymore. People just throw out whatever truth they think. And, they, and most people just suppress the truth of God. It's a dangerous place to be. And we buy into all these lies that anybody can throw out there. It was a day when people had to earn the ability to speak into your life. I want you to think about this. Truth. They say now, and this is what's pumped into our kids' minds in secular colleges, that there is no more absolute truth. There's no such thing as absolute truth. Not, not, not at all. You know what's interesting about that? They have taken absolute truth. Now listen closely to what I'm going to say. They have taken absolute truth and they placed it in the one area that most of us don't even trust anymore. Politics. What are you talking about? They've taken absolute truth and they put it in and made it political correctness. And they make that absolute truth. And all political correctness is now, all it means is you cannot share what you believe on anything if it disagrees with what's politically correct, which means we could spread as many lies as we want to. 
They've taken the absolutes and made it political correctness. They put it in the area of politics, the place we don't even trust. It's a crazy world, huh? It's a crazy world. Now, once they suppress the truth, that leads us to step two, and that is the elimination of God and the elevation of man. Now, once you suppress the truth, you reject the truth of God's word, you reject there's a God, now comes the elimination of God and the elevation of man. Here's what's interesting before I read verses 21, 22, and 23. God is relational, correct? He created us for relationship with Him. If we eliminate Him, we eliminate the biggest source of relational happiness. Why do you think so many people are so unhappy? And we have so much, Americans have so much, and the most unhappy people. Because they've eliminated God, the source of ultimate happiness, the source of the ultimate relationship. That's a free one. Let's read the verses. 21, 22, 23. Watch this now. The elevation of man. For even though they knew God, they know, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Remember that word darkened. Verse 22. One of my favorite New Testament verses. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Boy, we could go off on that verse. Verse 23. And exchanged the glory. There's an exchange now. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Okay, what's going on there? Once I eliminate God, I put myself in the place of God. Now I become the dispenser of my own ideas, which is humanism. We solve our own problems. No, we can't. I want to show you, I want to show you three things that happen in those verses. There's three. There's more than that, but I'm going to give you three. The first one, bullet point, is this. Man no longer gives thanks to God. That was verse 21. They don't give thanks to him. They don't worship him anymore. They don't honor him. Now, you need to stop and think about this one. Every human on the planet is going to worship something or someone. They, they, they just are. It's built into the mechanism of who we are. Psalm 115 verse 8, talking about idolatry, it ends up by saying they become like the very idols they make. In other words, the thing you worship you become like. That's why it's dangerous not to worship God, not to give thanks to Him. Because if you worship, and you're going to worship something, everybody is, if you worship a person, a thing, you become like it. You be worship a person, they're flawed. You take on more of their flaws, and you won't be conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. So you teach your children well, teach them to worship God, and God only. Now, the second bullet point of what happens is this. Man's mind becomes darkened. Now, that's an interesting word in verse 21 because the word darkened, it means shade, ignorance of the divine. Now, in our day and age, we have this common term now. Young people say, oh, he threw shade on them. What does throw shade on somebody? Maybe he's criticize somebody. Put them down. He threw oh, you threw shade on them. That's not what this means. It says your heart's darkened when you reject God, make yourself God. It means ignorance of the divine. You know what that means? Listen closely. Listen closely. It means the rejection of God has a negative effect on a person's reason. The rejection of God has a negative effect on a person's reason. They descend into their own thinking. They begin to have distorted thinking in life. Here's what is interesting to me. And it, it just, it's just interesting to me. <laughs> um, you, you've heard this. I know you've heard this before. People out there don't believe in God or think Christians are a little... <laughs> or atheists. They say this, and I've heard them say it that Christianity damages the mind. You've heard that? When in fact, the truth is, the rejection of God damages the mind. That's what Paul's saying. 
The rejection of God, putting ourselves in the place of God, damages the mind. We're darkened. We become ignorant of, of things of God, of the divine. And therefore, the result is professing to be wise. They think they know so much. They became fools. They became fools. Now, third thing is this. Man becomes his own God. And that's verse 23 there. If you noticed, first on the list of idolatry is man himself. When we reject God, we elevate ourselves to the position of God. Eve, you'll be a God knowing good and evil. You're the shot caller. You deify your opinions. You decide what's right and wrong. You go with what you feel. And this is what we see today. Look, and it's nothing new. This has been going on for like 6,000 years. You'd think, oh, it's, it's, it's in our society. It's been going on for a long time. <clears throat> Listen, when we reject God, we deify our own opinions. We make ourselves God. That's dangerous. It's really dangerous. Now, that leads to the third step. And that is idolatry to immorality is a short Now, as I read, because I'm going to read verses 24 to 32. I want you to think, and you tell me if that's not the quicksand we're in today. But let me also tell you, this is not the first time this kind of quicksand's been here. It's been here throughout history. We're not the first generation to experience it. It's been going on, on and off through different cultures and nations. It's throughout history. Nothing new. Satan has no new game plans. But watch this. Verse 24 to 32. Watch. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to go back, and I'm going to define about 10 of those statements. Because when we reject God and make ourselves God, that's idolatry. And then from idolatry to immorality is a quick, short step. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's Satan's big weapon, is the lie. Once you believe a lie, you're going to sputter down a wrong road. And worshipped and served the creature, man worshipped himself, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. Verse 26, for this reason, now, because man has rejected God, elevated himself to become God, because of that, here's what happens. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. The word depraved is the idea of having precious metal, but it's worthless because there's so much impurity in it. It's just worthless now because of all the impurities in it. It's a depraved mind. That's a description of it. Verse 29, he goes on. He doesn't, this is not the end of the list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Okay, I just gave you a mouthful, so i got to go back now. Let's cover this. When we reject God, make ourselves God, we decide what's right and wrong, we believe the lie, we go down these 
roads of destruction. It's a short step to immorality. The first thing when humans play God that we see is this. The practice of homosexuality is normalized. Now before you get all, some of you, and I know most of you I'm preaching to the choir, but some of you go, I, just please listen. And Christians, listen to what I'm going to say too because it's important. <clears throat> First off, when he says in verse uh, 27, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error, all he really means by that is that all sin has a destructive nature to it. All of it does. Not just that one. Let me also say, when I said the practice of homosexuality, and I always say it that way, let me tell you why. Because in verse 32 he says, those who practice such things. And I say it specifically for you Christians. Because some Christians have a tendency, listen, to make homosexuality the sin. No, it's just one of all the sins. Paul clumps them all together. He puts arrogance in there. He puts disobedience to parents in there. Gossipers in there. Same thing. I also say practicing of homosexuality because there are plenty of people, now listen, who are born-again Christians and they have a bent towards a homosexual lifestyle. But they won't go that way. They won't practice that because they've committed to God. I applaud them. Listen, every Christian listening to me, you have a bent like I do towards certain sins. James chapter 1 teaches that. Everybody does. But you and I choose not to practice it because we have the power of God living in us and the blood of Jesus has delivered us same thing in the area of homosexuality. They've chosen not to practice it. Sometimes you slip in the area, and so do I. Sometimes a person fighting off homosexuality might slip. Doesn't mean they're not, they're not born again. They're doing their best with the power of the blood of Jesus, just like you are. And I'm saying all this to say, don't overstate it. Don't make it the sin or else you'll never reach out to a person who struggles in that area. You'll never show them the love of Jesus. And they're created in the image of God. Okay. That's just one of many sins. Let me take you down some of the list, because he really named the riot act here. I'm just going to give you some of them. He names murder in that list. And we've, we talked about it last week. 43 million babies, 43 to 50 million babies aborted in the last 47 years. We see that. We also see it in some of our big cities. Man, murder's rampant in America. <laughs> and don't ever defund police. We need to put more money into police. He says strife. You know what strife means? It means to quarrel. Isn't that our society today? They just want to fight? You just want to fight about everything. If you're out there and you, you just want to always pick a fight with somebody, see, can you stop it now? As a follower of Christ, you're to be a peacemaker. You're to go into situations and make peace. Be a peacemaker. Then he says, gossipers. Ho, 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 ho. Some of us out there love to gossip, huh? Some of us use social media platforms to gossip about this and that. Can you stop now? Can you stop looking for, you know, you know just between you and me, I've got to tell you about something. Stop. Just stop now. Then he says, slanders. Uh, you don't have to go very far on social media to see all the slander out there. You shouldn't be one of those people slandering. Now, I wrote myself a little note here on gossip and slander because I thought, I think I can equate it. There's a thing now called, and since this is my last message, I'm going to unload it. There's a thing now called cancel culture. You've heard it. If they don't like, oh boy, if you 
are for this person or give money to that or you stand for this thing or there and they don't, whatever they don't like, oh, they're going to just shame you all over social media. Oh, they're going to jump out. There's a million of them out there. Bunch of little babies. They're going to shame people. Shame. Where did shame come from? What was shame a result of? Where do we first find it? Oh, yeah. In Genesis 3, when Satan tricks Eve and Adam into eating the fruit, and they sin, and shame enters into the world. So shame is a serpentine product, a product of the serpent. We got a bunch of serpents out there wanting to shame everybody because, oh no, you're not allowed to think that way. You're not allowed to do that there and I'm not going to let you do that. We're going to shame you and they try to shame companies. I wish companies would just tell people, forget you. We're going to do what we want. This is America. It's free. Who are any of us to tell anybody that they can't do what they want to do within the parameters of law? Shame is serpentine. Cancel culture, that's all serpentine. Let me move on. Insolent. You know what the word insolent means? It's a great word. It means to run riotous, outraged with insult, running around just insulted with everything. Look at, watch the news every night to see those people. They're just all the insolent people running around. Then arrogant. That's easy to see because we reject God, we make ourselves God. We're the king now. Without understanding, Paul says. You know what it means? It means a refusal to understand. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to dialogue with you. you no, know, uh-uh. I'm going to get angry. I'm going to scream at you. We be, we're becoming... Uh, no, let me say that. There's people out there, be, they're be very non-civil. Non-civil. Then he says, untrustworthy. Meaning, they're promise breakers. People break promises all the time. When you make a promise, that's an issue of character. When you say you're going to do it, do it. When you commit, commit. You make a vow, follow it up. Then he says unloving. Mm. That's the Greek word storge. It means family love. This means without family affection. We're watching families fracture. We're watching people and families hate each other. We're watching all that kind of stuff. That's serpentine. That's of Satan. That's when a person has made themselves God and they say, it's okay for me to do this. And by the way, let me back up. There are four words for love in the Greek. And, and, and Paul uses them. Phileo is that brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileo. Then you have agape, which is God's love. You have eros, which is sexual love. The problem why people go into all these sexual addictions and things that are incorrect is because when you eliminate God, you eliminate agape love. And once you eliminate agape love, God, eros, sexual love, is open to whatever interpretation you want. Did you hear what I said? I gave you a key truth right there. And then he says, unmerciful meaning give no mercy to people. You know, as if you got it or I got it all together, like I'm not going to give them mercy, I'm not going to forgive them. As if you've got it together, take the log out of your eye. When you don't give mercy, you're playing God. And yet the real God gives mercy. <laughs> wow. We need mercy every day. And then he says the person who's okay with all these things gives approval to it. They're in just as much danger. Okay. Let me finish this whole series off right now. A man by the name of uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was born in 1918. He died in 2008. Russia. As a child, he remembers his grandfather at the table and he always knew when it was around time for bed because granddad would basically say this 
Because Russia was being overrun by communism and everything else. It was, it was bad. He said, the reason why these things are happening, and he was telling his kids and his grandkids, the reason why these things are happening, and he would hear his grandfather talk with all the older men too, the reason why these things are happening, but every night the grandpa would say this, the reason why these things are happening in Russia is because men have forgotten God. He was right. When he got older and he wrote a lot of myths and they threw him into that Russian prison, work camp, gulag, and bad, and you can read up on it some other time if you want to, but if he were asked later in his life what led to the ruin of Russia and the murder of 60 million people there, yeah, communism, socialism are good, huh? <clears throat> he would just repeat what what he heard his grandfather say and all the old folks in town. He said, the reason why all this happened is because we have forgotten God. That's why it all happened. You know the old statement. Those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. When we forget God, as our society keeps pushing, pushing towards the rejection of God, People do ugly things to each other. Because there's no more moral law, because there's no more moral lawgiver. There are no more absolutes. We always need God. We could say we need God more than ever. No, we always need God more than ever. Now let me finish with this last thought. Follower of Christ. A lot of the things I've said in this series, you could say, yeah, they need to, they need to, they need to do that. Wait a minute here. How many truths in God's word do you say, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to forgive. No, I'm not giving mercy to that person. Oh, no, I'm not talking to them. I, I, no, I'm just going to get angry. I'm going to stay angry. I, I deserve to be angry at that person for this. Oh, no, I don't need a tithe. What do I need a tithe for? No, I don't believe in that. I, you know, I can, we love each other. We're not married, but uh, we can sleep with each other. doesn't matter. No, I don't, I don't really think that's true in this Bible. How many times do we play God? And then we look at the world and say, oh, they, 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 Sorry. Judgment begins in the house of God. How will the world ever want Christianity if we're not even going to submit ourselves to God? Why would they bother? We have the greatest responsibility. And we need to evaluate ourselves. Because maybe we're also involved in cultural quicksand on a personal level. You're not God, and I'm not God, and what this says is true, and it's absolute, and we need to live it. God has given you the power through the blood of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The culture, they're not going to live. They're going to be like what we just read because they don't know God, like we know God. But we need to live this stuff to be able to reach them. Now, maybe you're out there, and you're not... You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're at. And maybe some of the stuff made sense to you today. You could see where doing your own thing and making your own decisions has led you down some pretty difficult roads, got you in some stuff like, oh my gosh. And you realize, you know, what if I come to God and start retracing steps and making God decisions and let Him decide, be the decider of my life? Maybe that's going to work better. Yeah, it will. Maybe it's time for you to come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, Jim, you don't know what I've done. I've, I've done some pretty bad things. Well, who hasn't? Jesus is in the specialty of taking people who've done some pretty bad things, washing them clean, and turning their life around to live for the glory of God. My Jim, my family hates me because I've done so many things. I've ripped them off into this. Okay, then let's clean it up. Let Jesus change your life and earn their trust back. 
Not too late. Not too late. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. Or maybe you backslid. Maybe you walked away from God. And you know what? It's just time to come back. You realize, man, I've been playing God. I need to, I need to make Jesus God again. Yeah. So whatever position you're in, whether you want to come to Christ for the first time or you want to rededicate your life, either way, I'm really glad you want to. So right there where you're at, here's what I want to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say it slow. I'm going to say it in blocks. And if you want to put your faith in Christ for the first time or rededicate your life, I want you to repeat it out loud after me. If you feel kind of funny, you're sitting around family members or friends, just say it in your head, real, real silent whisper. But those of you born again people around them, you say it out loud, make them feel comfortable. But after you said it, afterwards, you need to tell those people, friends, whoever they are, that you came to Christ. Somebody needs to know. You cannot be a secretive Christian. There's no such thing. Jesus wasn't ashamed to die naked for you on a cross. Don't be ashamed of him. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. So repeat this prayer after me. Those who want to put their faith in Christ or rededicate their life. Here we go. Jesus. Forgive me my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I put my faith in you today as my Messiah, God and Savior. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life and live according to your word as I learn and grow in it. Thank you for saving me. Now I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to pray. Close your eyes right where you're at. I'm going to pray for you. I just pray that as you begin this journey or resurrect this journey, that this is going to be something that is going to just amaze you. That all of a sudden you're going to look through eyes, you're going to say, I never looked at life like this before. I never saw it this way. And you're going to feel the love of God all over you. I pray that right now. I pray that as you tell people around you, families and friends, that you, you're a follower of Christ now, ask them to show you where to start in the Bible. They'll get a Bible, get a simple translation, and they'll guide you. As church opens, get back into church. And most of all, every day, thank God for saving you. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. And even when you don't feel like it, give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. And I thank you, and I thank God for saving you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.